Ladies and gentlemen, this is Super Cop Dick Justice. I'm here on the two-man power trip of wrestling podcast, promoting all your great wrestling needs. Please listen to the show. They're very enjoyable, good dudes. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've met hundreds of wrestlers. They own thousands of DVDs and have watched millions of hours of wrestling. They are Prime Time Pause and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling. I am Chad. And as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz. But before we get to John, April 11th at the Prince William County Fairgrounds in Manassas, Virginia, Mix It Up Sports presents Recommence, a night of amateur MMA, Muay Thai, and submission grappling featuring an in-person appearance by UFC Hall of Famer, pro wrestling legend, and friend of the two-man power trip of wrestling, Dan the Beast Severin. For ticket information and a list of fighters, visit MixItUpSports.com. That's MixItUpSports.com. At this point, I'd like to welcome in my co-host, the very buzzworthy, the very on-time, the very beautiful co-host of mine, primetime, John Paz. Woo! How's it going, Chad? It's going great. I don't know if I if you caught a lot of bees in the intro. Oh, yes, yes. That's because tonight we are joined by one half of the Killer Bees, B. Brian Blair. What can you tell us about the man who hangs out at Hazel's Honey Hut, B. Brian Blair? B. Brian Blair, he was a blast. So much fun. I mean, from the second he got on, it was this guy's full of energy. This is going to be a good interview. I knew it from right from the start, as soon as he got on. And uh, it was a great line about Hazel's Honey Hut. I loved it. I don't know what it means, but I love it. It was fantastic. He cut the promo right out of the gate. It's worth the price of, of admission. And since this is free, it's worth the download click. But B. Brian Blair, we didn't even get to get into the meat of this guy's legendary career because we, we got so caught up in talking about uh, the Cauliflower Alley Club, which he's promoting, which is uh, coming up in, in just a couple of days after this episode comes out. And, you know, he's just he's the right guy for the job and, and being the head of the Cauliflower Alley Club. And, it's headed in a, in a great direction after everything that he had told us. Yeah, very cool. I do think he's the right guy. I mean, a former politician himself. I mean, he he's great, and uh, he's got a great personality, full of life, and it's just really cool to uh, be able to talk about his career, the legendary killer B himself, B. Brian Blair. That's right, and he said in the interview he will be elected into the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame Dan Gable Museum this coming summer, so we will have him on down the road to get into everything that we don't cover, and that basically includes most of his time in Florida, which we were dying to talk about. We just unfortunately ran out of time, but if you love the Killer Bees and you love 1980s WWF tag team, this is a great interview, but that's enough out of us. One more time, on April 11th at the Prince William County Fairgrounds in Manassas, Virginia, Mix It Up Sports presents Recommence, a night of amateur MMA, Muay Thai, and submission grappling, also featuring an in-person appearance by UFC Hall of Famer, pro wrestling legend, 
and our friend on the two-man power trip of wrestling, Dan the B. Severin. For ticket information and a list of fighters, visit mixitupsports.com. That's going to be a fantastic event. John, I got enough honey coming out of me to, to fill a couple of jars, but that's, I'm done. What do you got to say? Now, being a former Killer B was only a small part of his career, but possibly the most remembered, and I think the best part is when he does get into his uh, stories with Vince McMahon and the Killer Bees supposedly about to win the tag team titles and, and everything that went into that, a little bit of controversy. Uh, that, but, you know, also the great stuff with Jumpin' Jim Brunzel. So also have a great time listening to the episode, but don't forget to donate to the Cauliflower Alley Club. Us tonight is a legend of the professional wrestling business who is no stranger to being part of a tag team. Alongside his partner, Jumpin' Jim Brunzel, our guest is a mainstay on WWF TV throughout the 1980s as part of the Killer Bees. But additionally, he's competed in territories all over the United States and as, all, as well all over the world. Uh, currently, he is the president of the famed Cauliflower Alley Club, who will be holding its annual reunion April 13th through the 15th in Las Vegas at the Gold Coast Hotel and Casino. But if you want to find him now, of course, he's a mainstay down at Hazel's Honey Hut, where he chugs that Orange Blossom special. He is B. Brian Blair. Mr. Blair, welcome to the two-man power trip. Oh, yes, sir, Mr. John. You know, you guys are on a power trip, you and Ian. And I am so excited to be on your show. You know what? I just happened to stop. I'm glad you mentioned Hazel because I just stopped by there about three hours ago. I came up from I-75 South, and I turned off of the Naples exit where Hazel's Honey Hut is, and I picked up a quart. Actually, I picked up three quarts, but just for your show, I picked up a quart of Orange Blossom Special. And you know what happens then, brother. I chugged it on down, and my toes started tapping my knees started shaking, my wings started flapping, and now I'm ready for some jawjacking and backcracking. And I'll tell you what, guys, you guys are on a big power trip, but I've been from Maine to Spain. I've been deep down in the Ukraine. I've been from ocean to ocean, from coast to coast. And you got to know something. I really dig you guys because you think you're the most. So let's talk some stuff. <laughs> Very good. Ooh, quite an intro there. All right. Now, we, we mentioned the Cauliflower Alley Club. You are now the president. Can you talk a little bit about what's going on this year in the 50th anniversary reunion? Hold on, Ian. Let me calm down a little bit. <clears throat> yeah, I can. Wow. There's all kinds of stuff happening at CAC, Cauliflower Alley Club. You go to caulifloweralleyclub.org, and you can see what's happening. It's like the who's who. Everybody's going to be there, and we've got surprise guests that will blow your mind. We sold out the fastest, and we sold out the most people ever this year. I mean, it's phenomenal. Uh, April, actually, 12th through the, 4th, through the 15th, we've got nonstop action because we've got 12th and 13th um, Vendetta Pro Wrestling all kinds of who's who of, of promoters, of wrestlers. Of, uh, it'll be packed. People will be uh, just jammed up to see the newest talent that's uh, on the indie scene. We've got uh, all kinds of people from the WWE that'll be um, 
and tables for our awards banquets. We've got seminars. We've got things just that are nonstop from nostalgia to signings to the, the very first tag team championship award with the demolition. We've got Larry the Axe Henning, of course, Kurt Angle, Kurt Henning's, uh, excuse me, dad is receiving the Luthez Award, the coveted Luthez Award, and Larry the Axe Henning um, is uh, uh, just, he, he's just a phenomenal wrestler, and he's, he's, you know, a lot of the younger people might think, well, ah, it's just an old man or whatever, but let me tell you, this guy's been more than Maine to Spain, deep down in the Ukraine. This man, Larry the Axe Henning, has been... Um, the father of two fine, fine wrestlers, and Kurt Henning and his and his other son. Help me out. Curtis Axel. Uh, 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 help me out. You say uh, Kurt Henning's son, Curtis Axel. Yeah, I'm talking about Larry's um, grandson. Kurt's son. Uh, you got uh, Curtis, uh, Joe Henning, so he's Curtis Axel. Yeah, I mean, see, he's like he's like a. a um, a breeder of fine talent. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <laughs> and then you've got Gerald Briscoe. You know, Jack Briscoe was my best friend. And um, I, I remember when I was young and I was like 11 years old and I was following Jack Briscoe from aisle to aisle in a place called uh, Zares in uh, County Country in Tampa, Florida. It was a shopping center and it was around Christmas time. And I followed him from aisle to aisle, and he must have found out that I was following him because all of a sudden, as I turned the corner to see where he was, he disappeared, and he snuck up behind me, and he went, boo, and he scared the dog. I mean, he scared me so bad. It was it was crazy, but uh, we got to be great friends. You know, they all knew I was poor and didn't have money, and uh, my parents were divorced, and uh, yeah, I had a lot of great press about my younger youth athleticism and I was very blessed to be an athlete and and to have a dream and a desire, you know, from getting caught with food stamps uh in fifth grade at Egypt Lake Elementary School to, you know, ridicule for two years in the school and, you know, you feel like an amoeba. And that's pretty low. But those guys they brought me up and they told me that um you know, you can be what you want to be, so I became a killer bee. No, I, be- I was I became a wrestler long before the killer bee deal. And um, I'm actually more proud of my singles career than I am of the killer bee um, run, which was a great run because I love Jumping Jim. He's an awesome man. Um, and he was a great partner. And we'd still do things together. We were on the road together for four or five years, never got an argument. That's pretty strong. But, uh, you know, Jim was a Minnesota State high-jumping champion, a tremendous athlete. Um, we had a lot of fun, but I have, you know, lots of fun, as I said, being a single wrestler, you know, lots of titles back when there was uh, territories, which is a story in itself. And, um, you know, you guys got your listeners, and uh, I just want to give them a shout-out. You know, you, like I said, Cauliflower Alley Club is sold out. Uh, this year for Las Vegas, but next year uh, tickets will go on sale, I believe, in January 2016. 
or no, don't go on sale before that. I'm sorry. Um, but just uh, go to cauliflowerallyclub.org and you'll be able to check that out. I just I, like I said when you guys call, when I called and got you, I, I was late. I just got done with the real estate closing, and I had numbers running all through my mind, and it it, it just reminds me of the very humble beginnings that I had that anybody can make something of their lives. I mean, I don't care who you are. If you have desire, dedication, and um, if you have that understanding and that knowledge uh, that you need, you know, whether it's uh, book smarts, street smarts, the combination of both is the best, um, you know, and you got a lot of faith and hope and love in you, you're going you're gonna to make something to yourself. And I don't care who you are. So I hope that's a good message. Uh, that people will will remember, and uh, your young your young uh, wrestling fans, and and even young wrestlers. You know, I quit Vince at WrestleMania five after he had told us uh, uh, that we were going to win the titles on three different occasions, and Vince said it once, and then the the late great George Scott said it to us twice, and I was just kind of depressed. Uh, saw the writing on the walls with all the tag teams coming in at that time and decided I wanted to be a businessman and I was just too beat up. I actually was married then at the time and wanted to spend some time with my wife and uh, opened up Gold's Gyms and went from one to four and uh, had over 12,000 members in the four clubs and sold the clubs when they weren't for sale and I ran for politics and wound up being the county commissioner countywide for Hillsborough County, which is larger than right now eight other states. Uh, so it would be like running for governor for eight other states. So now you got my background fully, the truth, there it is. Let's talk about what you guys want to talk about. Well, since you brought it up, I just wanted to mention something because we were definitely going to ask about it, how you guys quit the WWF. Well, basically, Vince promised you a tag title run, and, you know, you never got it. Can you just go into a little detail about basically who you were going to be and how that all came about? Well, you know, if you remember the first Royal Rumble, um, we won that. And then in Philadelphia, we kind of turned down Hogan, and everything was kind of set. And uh, my belief is is that, um, you know, Jesse Ventura talked, who was long term, long time AWA guy, but before that, um, he was on. The, we were on the road together in Kansas City, Kansas, for about six months. He lived right in an adjoining apartment, and uh, Jesse always wanted to be a politician. And you know, I kind of uh, looked at it like, you know, maybe it is my duty someday, but. Right now, I wanted to wrestle and concentrate on wrestling, but Jesse decided uh, back going back to the WWE now that uh, we needed a union, and he talked to Brunzel and a couple other people into doing it, and Vince found out, Jimmy and um, uh, Jesse and a few other guys, I forget exactly who, gave them all a two-week vacation and with no pay. And I think, I think that for some reason Vince never forgot about that, and I think it cost us, you know, it cost us w, WWF World Championships 
I'm sure. But, you know, looking back on it, I mean, it's just a belt. It's a, it, to me, I mean, I've, if you look at my career, I've had lots of belts, and so has Jimmy. So even though there are prestigious belts, and it's great because people can talk about them, fans can talk about them, fans can relate better to that. Um, in my heart, I feel like um, uh, I did what I needed to do because every single night of my life, and I swear this is I'm sitting here, I worked as hard as I could because I know that every fan that paid $10, $12, $37, $50, whatever they paid for a ticket, um, they sacrificed those dollars to watch us perform. And I performed whether it was 100 people or uh, 90,000 people. I performed to the best of my ability and always wanted to give the fans their money's worth. And, you know, if everybody did that, you know, it'd be a, a business that would live forever. Not that it won't, but and it might have even more fans than there are now. But that's how I look at it. But yeah, and you know, and then I was going to say, you you hear it a lot about the belts, and you know, maybe the belts mean more to the fans sometimes uh, in terms of the status it, it gives you as you watch. But you know, the Killer Bees were basically married to the Hart Foundation for pretty much two years, um, and it really it was the big hole in the in the feud, I would say. But what are your memories of wrestling the Hearts? Because it seemed like if you go back and check a card from that 86, 87, even into early 88 time frame, it's the Killer Bees versus the Hearts on nearly every card. And, and I loved working with them. I really did. Um, um, Bret Hart wrote in his book that the best tag match he ever had was with the Killer Bees and uh, I believe it was during a Saturday night main event match in Los Angeles, California. And we had matches that simply weren't televised. They weren't recorded. Um, Vince didn't record all the matches like he does now, all the house shows, and um, which he still doesn't do all the house shows. I believe most of them. But because um, you never know what you're going to get. You know, if somebody, something might happen that you could never catch if you weren't filming that night, so it might be a one-camera shoot. Um, but we had matches, guys, that, I mean, were so good. The only matches, those for my own self, um, as a single wrestler with ones I had with Paul Orndorff, but again, same situation. We had matches that were so off the chart, people were standing, and I'm a humble guy. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you that Paul Orndorff was the greatest heel in the business, and we could have matches, and we got we got to have matches where um, one minute after the match started, people that never sat down until it was over, and and it was like that with the Hart Foundation on many occasions. I mean, they were awesome, and I and and I'll be honest with you, you know, they did not they got heat because that's what they're supposed to do as heels, but the Sheik and Volkov had more. They they worked and wrestled to get their heat. And, and you know, they weren't the greatest on pro, uh, promo guys. You know, we, we, but the Sheik and Volkov, they had more heat than you could possibly imagine. And they were just so freaking hard to work with that it hurts you as a baby face because once they get that heat on you and it's time for that hot tag, 
and you got somebody that's not going to take a bump for you or somebody that's going to take a bump in five stages, uh, you know, first a knee, then an elbow, then a side, then a roll. I mean, that doesn't work, you know, it doesn't get it. And and when you got to pick somebody up and literally forcefully pick them up, it's, it, it just kills the match. And, you know, I remember lots of matches, um, you know, tag team matches that were just so good. One with Valentine and um, and Beefcake and uh, the timekeeper had saw the match uh, a week before in the Meadowlands. We were in Madison Square Garden, but in the Meadowlands we had a 20-minute draw, but a uh, 15-minute draw, 20-minute draw, whatever it was. And then we went, his name is Professor Elliot, you may know him. And then we went into... Um, Madison Square Gardens, and we're having all of a sudden. I mean, the people are so there's so much heat in the building. Brunzi hits me with that hot tag, and I jump out, and all of a sudden, Elliot rings the bell, and says, 20 minutes gone, and I could have killed him that night because it was a no time limit match. But um, there's all kinds of happenings and things that happen that the fans don't really know until you tell them about it. But you know, God bless each and every one of them for being there and, and for loving the sport that made me a living and allows me to do the things that I do today. And that's why I give back so much. I mean, you know, the Cauliflower Alley Club, we give so much money away to people that you know that we would think had millions of dollars that have fallen on difficult times because of either, you know, disease, divorce, um, uh, Bernie Madoffs, all kinds of different reasons. Um, have hindered these people and you know to be able to help them financially is is such a joy to hear to listen to them cry and when they call you and thank you I mean it's just an unbelievable reason and I tell them all it's not me it's it's the fans they they're the ones that became members of the CAC they're the ones that come out to the banquet in in Las Vegas Nevada each year and you know, without the fans, we wouldn't have this great organization. And it's a it's the last insurance stop before, you know, booted out of your apartment or your house or, or foreclosed on your house or, you know. I mean, I'm talking about a lot of things and a lot of time, but it's like I want the wrestling fans to know everything that I know because they deserve it. Yeah, and it's it's such a great organization, and please go out of your way to go on their website and check it out because it gives you all of the background and and it gives you and if you know about Brian Blair's career, that you know that he is a guy who gives back, and it what you've done for the organization since you got involved as the president has been very positive and, and very cool. But gonna try to go back to the uh, to some of the wrestling days. Uh, again, if you don't mind, um, with WrestleMania about a week away, uh, what are some of your memories of WrestleMania? Obviously, you were involved in the biggest one to date that we still talk about to this day, WrestleMania three. But what are some of your uh, WrestleMania memories in retrospect? I liked when uh, uh, when we were at WrestleMania two, when we were in Chicago, and um, uh, the Iron Sheik um, stretched Bill Fralick from the Bears. Oh yeah. <laughs> wanted, to, wanted to test the Sheik out and see if he was arrested. And you know, the Sheik was a bronze medalist in the, in the uh, Pan Am Games, and um, he could he could go. You know, um, 
he was a wrestler, and, and you know, a lot of a lot of your fans don't know the difference between a wrestler and a shooter, uh, and a, or a shooter is a wrestler. They're the same thing, um, or I should should say a shooter and a hooker. But to give you the lingo, uh, an amateur wrestler is a shooter, and a hooker is somebody like a Luthez who could break every bone in your body and would love to wrestle an amateur wrestler, except for maybe like a Danny Hodge who used to break craftsman pliers with his bare hands and was the only guy to in college history to win both the Golden Gloves and the National Championships in the same year. Plus, Danny Hodge was a four-time national champion uh, at um, Oklahoma uh, or Oklahoma State, I believe it was. And, and you, you remember things like when the Sheik did this to this guy, they, they, I mean, the refrigerator was there, uh, Perry, you know, all these guys that, you know, if you're a Bears fan, were in WrestleMania too. I mean, they looked at that and they had a newfound respect for wrestling. When they went out in the Battle Royal, they had a newfound respect for wrestling. <clears throat> of course, none of them wanted to mess with Andre. Uh, I got lots of Andre stories. But anyway, um, um, I have a memory from... You know, from from when I moved forward from to WrestleMania four in Atlantic City, although three was my favorite. Obviously, we go to four and we're in the Battle Royal again. And I forgot who threw me out, but I missed the top rope and I hit the uh, the railing and my, it split my chin open. I think I get fourteen or fifteen stitches. And uh, um. I went to the hospital, but before that, blood was coming out. I hit some ladies' white pumps, and uh, <laughs> he happened to be uh, Ivana Trump. Oh, boy. And uh, Ivana says to Donald, I think that's real blood. And he just looked at <laughs> her, and he said, of course. He gave her a little sarcastic. In his voice, of course that's real. Believe anyway, it was funny, and and this is a true story. I went to the hospital, got stitched up, came back. Was with my wife. We went to um, um, gamble, which you know I'm not a big gambler, and if I knew what I knew now about gambling, um, I would have done a lot better, but. She was, my chin kept dripping blood, even with the stitches in it and the bandages. Just kind of, I don't know what happened, but it just started dripping blood. So my wife's holding this cloth underneath me that somebody went and got from uh, one of the pit bosses or somebody. And I'm sitting there and I can't lose. I mean, I, every hand, I'm, I'm winning like five out of six hands and I'm betting 10 bucks. So at the end of the night, you know, I'm sitting there and, and, um, you know, I know that Tony didn't want me to, to my wife didn't, she didn't want me to gamble <laughs> either, so, uh, you know, you're supposed to double down. There's all kinds of things that you should, really should do when you understand the game of blackjack, but uh, I wound up winning, I don't know, twelve, fifteen hundred dollars so that was still a lot of money, and I was still grateful for that, but either that, car, that dealer knew exactly what he was doing, or there's a little something finicky sometimes with that. Uh, you know, I mean, I hate to say it's fixed in any way, shape, or form, but 
that maybe I just got a lucky deal, or maybe oh, I was just lucky. I don't know what, but um, that was a WrestleMania moment. Moment, but being going out in the uh, modified golf carts into WrestleMania three again with Volkov and she so much heat, the place was just rumbling. But again, you know, you're, you're trying to work with two guys, and I, believe me, I I love um, Volkov. Nikolai is. He's such a good guy, such a nice guy, and a humble guy, and uh, not the persona that you actually see. And but he just, you know, it was like Joe never wanted to, never wanted to take a bump. You know, I mean, it was like, you know, you can't really have a match unless both people are being taken, you know, pretty much equally. So those are good, all, all good memories of WrestleMania. Now you mentioned Andre the Giant, so I gotta ask you: Can you just give us one good Andre the Giant story? Sure, I'll give you a good Andre the Giant story. Uh, I went into um, went into uh, Mississippi to watch his territory uh, in Leroy McGurk's territory for my second or third territory. I forgot, but I was still green in the business and. Uh, but I had an opportunity to drive. Uh, uh, Bill Watts told me to get a van since Andre was a close friend of mine and uh, Dusty Rhodes was even a closer friend of mine at the time. Um, I don't know if Andre or, or, or Dusty told him to do this, but anyway, we all three were partners riding together. Nobody else for for that week, and we had a blast uh, from uh, Jackson, Mississippi to New Orleans. I got stories from everywhere, but I'm only going to tell you one. And that's when uh, the first one, Jackson, Mississippi. So it's about uh, one, or two, 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, Greenville, Mississippi, which we're wrestling in is 220 miles north. Um, Andre comes to, the, to my powder blue Lincoln Continental that I had since high school. And um, uh, that's how hard I worked. I was a bartender, and I was making a lot of money in my senior year in high school. And um, he came and um, uh, said, uh, Beep, that's a name, just a nickname. He goes, hey, hey Beep, um, Beep, uh, he said, listen, uh, the giant likes, uh, I just talked to the giant, and he wants two bottles of Crown Royal. And he said, uh, and the giant wants a case of Budweiser. And I said, okay, Dream. And he goes, and you give me a case of Lone Star. I said, okay, Dream, yes, sir. And he goes, and I want you to give me a styrofoam cooler because it's going to be really, really cold. And when you open your door, you let all your heat out. So we're just going to get a cup, and uh, and you get the cooler, and we'll just pee in the cup and pour in the cooler. I said, okay, yes, sir, Dream. Uh, and he goes, oh, you can get yourself a six-pack because you're driving, whatever kind you want. And you get two bags of ice and get the crown roll, make sure they're large. And, and I said, yes, sir. And I'm sitting there looking at him, waiting. I had all this stuff in my head ready to roll. And he hands me $200 bills. I go to the liquor store. I go and I uh, come back. Got all the stuff. We jump in the car, we're heading up, and, uh, you know, I'm just being quiet driving, you know, like a chauffeur, and they're telling stories back and forth. Uh, Andre's in the front seat, Dusty's in the back, 
it's getting colder and colder. Pretty soon we start seeing snow on the road. It's getting colder. I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out now because I didn't tell him that my heater was broken. And I'm waiting for him any minute, you know, to tell me, God dang, it's too cold in here. Turn your heater on. But they still weren't doing it because they were such into the drinking and talking. I mean, Andre had already drinking a bottle of Crown Royal before we got there. Uh, half of his Budweiser was gone. Dusty had drinking a half a case of that Lone Star, and I didn't have any beer then yet. And we're, uh, I'm just listening to the stories, and we're getting closer and closer. And he, they never asked me to turn the heater on. I turned the defroster on, and thank God it gave me enough view that I could see, and it was warm enough where everything was cool. So we go wrestle. We come back, you know, two and a half hours later. It is so freaking cold outside. It had already snowed streets are like icy slick and everything. So we run into the car. First thing the dream says, God damn, people turn that heater on. And I said, yes, I'll turn it on. <laughs> I, I said, we got to wait till the car gets hot. You know, before it gets hot, Andre's going, oh, 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 oh. He's just laughing. Oh, 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 oh. We don't need the heater. Oh, oh, oh. And uh, you need some more uh, gasoline, boss. Call it gasoline. You need some more gasoline, boss. He's telling uh, Dusty that. And he called everybody boss. And um, so we're we're driving a little further, and it's getting colder and colder. And about a hundred miles go by. And I'm drinking my beer. I'm kind of nervous, and uh, everybody's starting to pee. And Dusty's got the thing. Now we're about another 50 miles go by. We're about 70 miles from Jackson from our hotel room, and he's going, "God damn, people! I can't believe you're freezing the two greatest." the greatest talent in the whole wrestling industry, Andre the Giant, the eighth wonder of the world, in case you didn't know, people, and you're freezing the American dream, and I could have you blackballed, and I'll blackball you tomorrow if you don't get that heat on. And he's just cussing at me and going on and on, but, and Andre's laughing, and all of a sudden I'm throwing up that cooler, and, I don't know who peed last. Dusty's got the cooler on his lap. Andre, somebody said something funny. Andre leans forward towards the um, dashboard and leans backwards, and all of a sudden my seat breaks, and that it hit that styrofoam cooler, and that piss went all over the American dream. He fell on a tirade. Damn, people, your black ball will never wrestle again. I swear, you can't believe that. You embarrassed me in front of the Andre the Giant. The eighth wonder of the world. Yeah, <laughs> he went. He named about ten people that weren't going to book me, and uh, he went on and he was so full of pee. And oh God, I must have been so uncomfortable because it was so freaking cold outside. And we finally got back, and he wouldn't even look at me. He was just cussing at me still the whole time. But uh, of course, he was working with me. You know, he knew it was an accident. But. Uh, uh, anyway, for the next day, it was a big rip. I mean, they pulled on me after that. I mean, as far as the boss was cool, but Andre wouldn't talk. I mean, Dusty wouldn't talk to me. He'd <laughs> say something stupid off the wall. So, but to see a, a grown man with uh, uh, pouring pee out of his cowboy boot is, uh, you know, it's pretty nasty, but it's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, that is a great epic story right there. Yeah, man, I got lots of stories, but uh, I've been writing lots of notes, and I have so many stories about so many people from from all over the world. You know, when I left WWE, 
and that's when I really started making, uh, you know, we made, Brunzi and I made like 250 plus swag, I mean, 300,000 a year in our position. And uh, uh, during the end, and uh, Brunzi stayed for another year or two because he needed the money. I saved my money. That's a, not how much you make, it's how much you save. And they used to drill that into me in Florida, so that's what I did. Uh, saved my money, and uh, that's how I bought Gold's Gems, kept parlaying and doing things, and my mom lives in my guest house. She can walk over the swimming pool, jump in the lake, they can go fishing if they want off the top, you know what I mean? It's just, things have been good, thank God. It enables me to give back, and I thank God every day for what I have. So, with that said, you know, um, uh, after the WWE, uh, WWF, we were in Singapore. We were, we went to, um, oh, God, what a great tour that we had in um, Russia, Kota Kintabali, Malaysia, all over the place. I mean, it was tremendous. Now, well, one story that I was really interested in, in knowing, because I know you said you got a lot of great stories, What's the story behind the masks and the mask confusion angle that you guys did in the WWF? Whose idea was that? In Canada, um, God, let me think of his name. What a great guy. I should have it off the tip of my tongue, but I just got to call about something. But anyway, um, uh, a great Canadian wrestler. Um, oh, shoot. But anyway, we were doing promos, and it'll come to me uh, at some point, and um, uh, Red Berry. Okay. Uh, wow, Red Berry. Um, pretty sure that was it. Yeah, yeah that, I'm almost sure. Anyway, it was the guy that was doing the Canadian interviews for it. Um, oh, Bill, uh, Billy Red Lions. Billy Red Lions, thank you so much. God, You're I'm welcome. Sorry. I'm sorry, man, uh, for Billy Ray, if you, Red, if you heard that, you know I give all credit to you for that. For mass confusion, Billy Red, we were doing promos up in Canada, and, he, and uh, Billy Red said to us, you know, you guys are about the same stature, and there's a gimmick that would really get over. We did it as heels. But I think it would get over his baby faces, you know, provided, you know, you let the heels get enough heat. And we're listening to me. He goes, and you get two masks, get B masks, and just keep them in your trunks. And when the time's right, you know, you do the switcheroo. He gave us a couple of finishes to go with it. And, uh, man, it was just so awesome. I'll tell you what, Ian, I'll tell you what, John, I mean, I was just, that was incredible. And I, I loved any time we were able to use mask and use mask infusion. I, I loved it. It was great. And Billy Red, Billy Red Lions was the architect. Yeah, it was definitely, it was a uh, cool dimension to add to the bees, but let's just talk about your singles career and what an accomplished career it is. I mean, it spans so many different territories and different championships, but specifically the one that sticks out for me is your time in Championship Wrestling from Florida, which you're from Tampa. So obviously it's got a really nice, keen place in your heart, I'm sure. But talk about, if you can, your experience down in Florida wrestling and, and working with uh, Eddie Graham and Hiro Matsuda 
And basically, you know, how uh, how everything went for you getting into the business down there. Well, it's one of the hardest places in the world to, to break in. And um, uh, Mike Graham, Steve Kern, Eddie Graham, Jack Briscoe, all of them were – Eddie was real big on taking them to amateur matches and supporting the – uh, Boys and Girls Ranch and stuff like that, and they um, um, came to one of my matches and happened to win. And uh, I was wrestling a great big guy because there was no 220-pound <laughs> class like there is now and in college. And um, uh, I beat this big guy, and they had already read the story things that I already told you guys about food stamps, to, you know, to. Uh, Auto roll student, all kinds of different things that I was very fortunate to do. Uh, God bless me a lot. And uh, they uh, asked me if I wanted to break in or told me to come down when the time was right. So I came down, and Buddy, Buddy Colt, I started somehow. I was babysitting his kids, and Buddy Colt said, "Hey, you know, no, I'm in. I'm, I'm still in college, and I was at St. Leo College first, and." He said, uh, come on down. You're done with high school. It's time to start learning the profession if you can handle it, but I don't think you can. So that was enough motivation right there. So I went down there. I was in the ring with Matsuda, hero Matsuda, man. What a tough guy. So they put me through all the paces, and the first day I threw up everywhere. Oh, it was terrible. He laughed in a little smirk, a little smirky way, and Gordon Nelson was down there with him. Uh, then um, the second day I came back and the uh, same thing happened, man. I just regurgitated everywhere. So um, third day I come back and I'm on the floor. I rolled out, done. There he's waiting for me to puke, just uh, just staring at. Me. And a couple other people that Duke uh, Kiyomoko over there, he came by. Uh, I guess. Hero must have told him that I was going to peep. And um, I rolled out, and I'm just going, <laughs> trying to catch my breath. And all of a sudden, he lifts my my chin up with his foot, and he goes, what's the matter, boy? Why you no puke? And I said, well, sir, I haven't eaten since the last time. There's nothing left in me. And I could see then that, he turned around, you know, I heard a little laugh, and he, he turned around, Gordon Nelson laughed a little laugh. Anyway, it was, it was like, for some reason, they said, we want this guy, and we want him to make it. And from then on, they'd take me to the brink, but they wouldn't let me break. And over 100 guys came in during the summers. I mean, even Dan Spivey and... Um, uh, Razor Ramon and all kinds of different guys that made it somewhere else or back, came back and finally got it in. And for three summers, um, Mr. Wonderful Paul Ongoff broke in first. Um, then during the same summer, it was myself. And uh, it was uh, it was um, myself, uh, Paul Hogan, Mr. Three of us over three summers, out of way over 100 people. Um, that's all. That's all. It was. It was tough, and um, 
you know, I learned a lot. I mean, I wrestled constantly with tough, tough guys from, you know, from Carl Gotch to uh, Bob Backland and Gordon Nelson and everybody besides that, to the, uh, Jack Briscoe, just tough guys. I mean, they would, we went in there and we, they didn't smart me up. I mean, it was total, complete kayfabe and I even asked Orndorff one day to slam me. I said, hey, Hero told me about the break me in. He told me about the business. And he looked at me. He goes, are you sure? I said, yeah. He goes, I said, give me a body slam. So he gave me a body slam. My hip was out for two weeks. And uh, <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I just, it was just stupid something stupid I did. And um, I don't know. It was, a, it was a tough time, but it's a time I'll always respect and always remember. And I'm always thankful to all those guys that worked out with me and took their time. And uh, I try to do the same thing with others. Do you, uh, do you have any memories that stand out about uh, breaking in at that point with a, a very young Hulk Hogan, who we've heard the stories of how he got in down with Matt Suda where they broke his leg and he had to come back uh, after his leg healed. But what are your uh, what are your memories of a young Hulkster? Oh, yeah, he was – Terry was strong. I used to go into the bar when he was at a uh, band called Ruckus. And the first time I went to go in, I had met Terry before and talked to him a little bit. He told me to come up and um, – Anyway, he told the bouncers they got me in. It was, it was a place called the Other Place, and then at the Holiday House. He's—I mean, it was always packed full of people. And I was, you know, too young to be in there, but they—you uh, uh, know—I got to stay in there and be in there because uh, Terry left me. So, anyway, so I had a little knowledge with him, and then when we. Uh, when we came in and wrestled and stuff, uh, you know, I kind of, you would think Terry would probably throw me away, but I, I throw me around, but I had all the experience of hooking and wrestling and all that stuff, so there wasn't anybody that could throw me around. As a matter of fact, a lot of people left without their clothes, many, many people. And so I built a reputation, and they liked it. The only thing that I didn't like is they would want you to break somebody's bones, and I wouldn't do that. And I refused to do that. And I didn't mind. A buddy Colt's uh, brother-in-law used to push his, push his mom and his sister downstairs. They both broke bone in their body. And this guy was, a, he wanted to fight Dusty Rhodes. And Buddy told him that, you know, before he gets in the ring with Dusty Rhodes, he's got to beat Blair, who, you know, hasn't even had his first match yet. And he told me, yeah, he, Distinctively, I'll never forget. He says, "Brian, you either break his arm, or I'm going to really be pissed." And I said, "Yes, sir." And we looked at each other, and he had like these wrestling boots on that he ordered from somewhere, and a pair of white tights. He was all ready to roll, and he just hockered in my face. I mean, just totally hurt, just hockered in my face. And I just started beating his freaking ass until he ran out of the sportatorium. I mean, I so left his clothes and everything. Mulligan was walking in, grass blackjack. He was walking in to the sportatorium. And I was running after the guy because I hit him again out in the street, right in front of 106 North Albany. It pissed me off so much. And 
he went down and Blackjack goes, God damn, I'm sure glad I'm broke in already. <laughs> if, you know, I'm not going to fight Blackjack. <laughs> I think that he was just it's funny, you know, because the guys, everybody's following us out there. So, yeah, you know, I didn't break his arm, but uh, Buddy was real happy. Buddy Colt was real happy. But just until recently, is that the last year or so, has uh, his wife been kind to me and forgotten that. She held that grudge against me for even after he pushed her down the stairs. She held that grudge against me, and it, took, and it really taught me something. You know, just don't screw with, uh, you know, family affairs. Oh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, you know, guys, I mean, i got lots of stories, but um, the calls are stacking up. And, you know, to be on your show, let me just uh, thank you. You know, uh, you guys, uh, uh, two-man power trip, I think it's awesome. You guys are knowledgeable. Uh, you're great interviewers. You know, I'll I tell you what, I've been on some of these blog talk shows where i got to ask the questions, and it's really awkward. Um you guys are smart. You're great interviewers. You got a great show, and uh, I, I really appreciate you letting me be on. Well, please just give us all the details of Cauliflower Alley before uh, before we let you go this evening, because we could have you back whenever you want, because we have so much more we want to go into. But give us all the details of Cauliflower Alley before we go. Okay, Ian and John, and I just wanted to just say thank you and. Um, uh, the Cauliflower Alley Club is a 501c3. Nobody's paid. I'm not paid. Every dollar goes to helping. Even if you were an announcer, if you made your living in the wrestling profession, uh, we help people that put the ring up for 20 years. And they want a hard time. I mean, we are the last stop. And it's because of the fans and the wrestlers, because we'll have, we're already sold out. So we'll have 1,000 people there. There'll be probably... 400 wrestlers and 600 fans, and fans are very, very. When they go to the Cauliflower Alley Club, I mean, these are just regular uh, you guys and me now because I'm a fan. And even though I still work once in a while and sign autographs and stuff, I'm still a fan. Call me a mark, call me whatever. Um, but they, they act like we do. You know, they don't just hassle the uh, talent there. You know, we'll have lots of stars there. I mean, Triple H is there sometimes, but. Uh, to Randy Orton, all, all different kinds of guys, you know, just young guys and uh, legends. Everybody's nice, but you can go to cauliflowerallyclub.org. You can join for 25 bucks for a year, 50 bucks for two years, 75 bucks for three years, or you can become a life member and be on our chart and forever memorialized for $300 for life, and you get five copies of the year, which is it's awesome. You can't find it online. You can't get it anywhere. Um, we have several writers that contribute. It's about an uh, eight-page, uh, front, front four-page, front and back, eight pages of, of great information and pictures and photos and things that you just wouldn't see. So if that comes with the 25 bucks or, you know, again, lifetime member like I am. I became a lifetime member before I even went to the um, – no, I'm sorry, I went one time and then became a lifetime member. My first trip there was 2001. I was still working, going to Japan, going to uh, just all over the world. Kota Kintabalu on the island of Saba. Look that one up. I wrestled there, along with Frenchie Martin. <laughs> Frenchie Martin and uh, Brady just found a, a flyer from it, and I'm going to give it to Tony Villano at the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, the real Hall of Fame in 
Amsterdam, New York, over by Alden, New York. And because they send out 100 ballots to 100 wrestlers, former wrestlers or former and current wrestlers, and uh, the, the names are selected prior, and they vote, and you have to get 75% of the votes to be in their pro wrestling hall of fame. I just got nominated uh, into the uh, Hall of Fame, Dan Gable Hall of Fame in Iowa, and I'll be there July 10th and 11th. Uh, it's a great thing to look up Dan Gable, Lutez, George Trago's Hall of Fame. It's, uh, it's a big honor to go there, um, uh, to be honored into that Hall of Fame. So I, I've had a great career, and I've got a lot more stories and a lot of things to tell you guys, but... Uh, uh, give me a couple months and we'll do it again. And uh, call me sometime uh, after the Cauliflower Alley Club uh, runs simultaneously for the first two days with Vendetta Pro Wrestling on the 12th and the 13th. Oh, I need another chug of Hazel's honey. And uh, pick me up here. But uh, anyway, um, it's a it's a tremendous organization. And if you're a fan of pro wrestling, it's almost as important as uh, giving money at church, you know, I mean, you're giving money to people that, that made you happy, and you may be one of them, I mean, um, uh, to join Cauliflower Alley Club is a prestigious thing to be a member, especially to be a life member, um, but we know 300 bucks is a lot of money to a lot of people, so we don't press that, we press the gear, just that you, you, you'll live in immortality uh, on the wall of fame as a lifetime member. So it's at CaulifleraAllyClub.org. Ian, John, you guys are awesome, man. Power trip. I love it. The two-man power trip. Wow. I'm, I'm just too humble to be on a one-man power trip, but uh, I like I like to call you guys the two-man power trip. That's, that's awesome. I will never forget this.